All right. Uh, it's with uh, you guys uh, an honor and uh, much privilege for me to be able to introduce our, uh, I say guest speaker, but he's not a guest here at Harvest. He's uh, one of our faithful brothers who serves week in and week out, uh, Daniel Kim, who will share um, as DL is away. Um, Daniel Kwok, sorry. Uh, I don't know how I can forget forget that his name is Kwok. I, I've always shared a special bond with DL, I mean with uh, Daniel. Um, <laughs> Just the fact that we are both clocks. Uh, anyway, you know, Daniel, if you don't know him, he's uh, oftentimes a brother who's playing bass for us and leading us in worship. Um, but, you know, when I think about uh, my first memory of Daniel, um, it was when I was in seventh grade. Um, I was told that a family moved to the area. and This was um, KC's family, uh, Sean. Uh, and I was told that there was, uh, anyway, somebody my age. And obviously this is not Daniel because I'm a little bit older than him, but uh, I remember going to the restaurant that they opened up and seeing this guy who looked about my age, and you know, when you meet somebody new and you know, you just kind of, you know, size them up and stuff like that, but I remember seeing this friend who who would become one of my best and and good friends, uh, Myung, many of us know him as Sean, but he was holding this little baby, okay, Uh, this little very pale, fair-skinned baby, and this little baby was probably about maybe I want, I want to say around one, maybe a little bit older, somewhere around Ewan's age and stuff like that. And that little baby was Daniel, okay? So that's my first memory of Daniel. And, and obviously, there wasn't much conversation. Uh, I, I, he didn't really have much to say uh, at that age. But um, I say that because uh, knowing him from a time where he was a toddler to see him now, uh, it's a blessing to see uh, what God has done in his life. Uh, it's a blessing to see him become the man that he is now, uh, I see uh, such growth in him from obviously a toddler to uh, high school days to college to be the, the still fair-skinned man that he is today. Um, but, you know, you know I, I think back, you know, not too long ago where, uh, you know, Daniel became a real estate agent and uh, he was excited about beginning this new career. And I remember just in conversation with him, he would say, you know, I'm really, I'm really motivated. I, I want to do well. Um, and it wasn't well so that he could be, you know, loaded so that he could, you know, get all this stuff. But he wanted to do well so that he could take care of his family and stuff like that. And if you know a little bit of Daniel's story, he, he was injured shortly after he began that, which sort of, uh, you know, he, he tore something in his knee and which kind of really, um, anyway, God used that, I think, uh, to really allow Daniel time and space to really think about what he wanted to do with his life. And long story short, from then till now, uh, Daniel has uh, begun attending Reformed Theological Seminary, and he serves as our youth director. And when I hear conversations with him now, it, it's all, it's like, man, I, I just, I, I love our youth. I, I just love being around them. I love um, getting to know them in their lives and stuff like that. And so what, what a blessing it is for us um, to uh, hear from such a brother, I think. And so uh, with that, just as a way of encouraging him, uh, let's give a hand as he comes up to share God's word with us. I'm not going to be using this tool. I'm not DL, so. All right, good morning, Harvest. Uh, It's my privilege to be here, preaching here this morning. Uh, For those of you who are wondering where the tall, good-looking man with the beard is and why there's this fair, (laughs) pale-skinned guy who looks like he could pass as a high school student standing in the pulpit, it's because DL is preaching, as you heard, at the University of Illinois. 
and um, where Francis Chan has the great opportunity to preach alongside our beloved pastor. And so let's continue to lift him up in prayer. He's, he's preaching, and um, today is his last day. He'll be flying down, and um, yeah, so throughout today, let's just continue to lift him up in prayer. All right, so uh, some time ago, there was a woman who was teaching literature at a university. And for a class assignment, she asked all her students to read the Sermon on the Mount. Half of the class had never heard of it, while the other class never read it. And after reading through the Sermon on the Mount, they all hated it. Right? Some replied to the professor, it made me feel like I had to be perfect. Others said, this is ridiculous. Nobody can be like that. And the professor replied, that's okay. But aren't these the kind of people that you want around you? People who love you and aren't indifferent. People who are generous, who are grateful. People who are honest with you. And they all got quiet. Because what the students were essentially were saying was, I hold everyone else to these standards, but I don't hold these standards to myself, for myself. Right? None of us can follow the law perfectly. But Tim Keller says that if you learn how to read the law of God, as you carefully study these laws, look at it, God is after a kind of a person, a kind of heart, and a life of beauty, not just the external behavior. And we've seen this for the past four weeks. So as we continue to look through the series of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll look into what Jesus says about a beatitude people, a beatitude type of people. And as Biel has been preaching through this series, he's been continually looking at the heart, extracting, digging deeper, revealing the roots, right, our heart motives. And so we've seen that if the heart of murder is anger, adultery is lust, divorce is selfishness, and the underlying meaning behind oaths is deceit. See, what Jesus is not concerned with the right behavior and doing all the right things. What Jesus is doing is he's revealing the heart and the spirit of the Ten Commandments. He's not giving us a whole new set of laws. Okay, in fact, he wasn't even addressing the laws at all. Jesus' primary concern was with an inner righteousness that encompasses the mind and the heart. Because it's only when we change from the inside that we start living differently on the outside. If we only make it about keeping the rules, then we're no different from the Pharisees, right? We turn, we make and turn Christianity into a workspace righteousness. That's what we're doing. But the Beatitudes don't tell us how to be saved. They describe to be saved. Let me read that one more time. The Beatitudes don't tell us how to be saved. They describe be saved. This is what the Christian life looks like. This is what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Matthew as we continue the Sermon on the Mount. What's behind this third commandment? What's at the heart of it? What is Jesus teaching us? So if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Verses 33, 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is God's word. The first thing that we see, the first thing that we see is that Jesus calls us to live a life of honesty and light of the gospel. My second mission trip uh, was back in the 10th grade. And uh, it was the first time, actually, that our church ever went to the Dominican Republic. I think Sarah was on that trip and Biggie. And so all of us went. We, didn't, we went not knowing what to really expect. But anyone who went on this trip could tell you that um, the conditions that we faced were, were pretty horrific. Like, we've never, like, it was culture shock to the extreme. Like, I had never experienced anything like this before in my life. And um, if you know me, like, I don't have the best memory. Like, I have terrible memory. But I distinctly remember one thing about this trip. I remember the toilets, okay, or the lack of toilets and the running water. And um, I just remember that, one, you couldn't flush the toilets, okay? There was no way of flushing the toilets. And two, you couldn't sit on the toilets, right? You basically just had to, like, kind of just hover over it and pray and hope to God that nothing splashed out when you're doing your business, okay? So, like, no excrement, nothing came out of the toilet because you couldn't sit because it was covered in, you know, other people's business, okay? So you couldn't use the toilets. So I just remember this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to go home. Fast forward a couple of years, okay, and we sent another team to the Dominican Republic. Uh, and praise the Lord, they had toilets and running water. It was great. But in order to flush the toilets, you couldn't just, like, push the lever. We all have a lever on our toilets where you push, and the water goes down, everything goes down. But you couldn't do that, right? In order to flush it, you had to take a bucket. You had to take a bucket, right? Fill it with water, take it all the way to the, trash, or the, to the toilet, and then dump the water in. And that's how you had to flush it. So that was the rule, okay? As soon as you get there, they tell you every year, this is what you need to do in order to flush the toilet. And every year we go, our team is always paired up with other teams, okay? So they're from like California, Jersey, um, there's Chicago, uh, Philly. And every, every year that we go, there's other teams there. But there's always that one person, right, that never listens, right? They hear this and they just don't listen. I don't know, for whatever reason, they just don't listen. And so one year... Right? They had these new bathrooms, brand new bathrooms, and our brother, who will not be named, is brushing his teeth. Okay? He's just brushing his teeth, he's brushing his teeth, and he's like, oh gosh, what's that smell? Right? And I mean, someone was doing their business, so he decides to walk outside. He decides to walk outside and continue brushing his teeth. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees someone walk out. So he's like, oh, it's safe to go back in now. So he walks back into the bathroom, he's like, oh man, that's, that smell is like, it's, it's still kind of there, right? I mean, he must have dropped a big one. And so he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check the toilet. I'm going to check the toilet. So he goes and checks the toilet. And lo and behold, what do you see? He sees that this guy did not flush the toilet. So our beloved harvester runs back outside. He's like, hey, hey, you. This guy's like walking up the steps already. And the guy's like, he, like, he got caught off guard. He's like, what? Right? And he's like scared. He's scared. And he's like, hey, you, you didn't flush the toilet. And the other guy yells, yells back, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. And then our brother, right, he's, yeah, our, our beloved brother yells back, swear to God. <laughs> swear on it. Swear on it. And the guy's just like, uh, uh, and he just kind of defeated and embarrassed. He just like lowers his head and just like starts walking down the stairs to go flush the toilet. Right? This guy had nothing to say. 
This guy had nothing to say. (laughs) This is the kind of culture that we live in, right? We have to make promises in order for people to believe us. Growing up as a child, I always had to make pinky promises, right? You have to do the pinky promise, and like Korean people like to add the thumb for like extra measure, right? Just to make sure the promise is believable, right? And um, I always heard my friends say this, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? Because you want to know whether the other person is lying or not. You want them to tell the truth, and you want them to follow through with their intentions. And that's what Moses had to deal with in the Ten Commandments, in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments. He had to deal with the tendency of people lying to one another, and saying things that ultimately weren't true, right? Men couldn't rely on other men's words. They were always lying to one another. And it became so bad that they would have to take oaths in the most trivial matters, right? Things that weren't important, the big grand scheme of things, things that weren't important. The oaths served as a reminder to one another that everything that they did was under God. So God was overall And every part of their lives had to be lived for him. And so that's why we see this law in the scriptures and the Ten Commandments, because this was the context in which the third commandment was given to the people in the Old Testament. Okay? But what the Pharisees did, what the Pharisees did is they twist the meaning of the third commandment, right? We all know that we all know the Ten Commandments. So what they do is take this third commandment and they twist the meaning, right? The third commandment is this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is the third commandment, right? And like all of the other commandments, the Pharisees took this and twisted the meaning. Kind of like when someone gossips, right? Um, They phrase and twist the gossip from to how they want it to come across. So, right, from when the first person gossips to the last person, the meaning is never the same, right? It gets lost in translation. So, uh, one person could say, whisper something by the by the end. You know, like the phone game where you like whisper like something in the ear and by the end, the last person has to try to guess what it says. It's kind of like that. The meaning becomes distorted. The meaning becomes lost. And so that's why, again, Jesus says in verse 33, he says this. Again, you have heard that it was said. The people back in the day, they would hear the law from the Pharisees. But this verse, this verse can't be found anywhere in the Old Testament. Anywhere you look in the Old Testament, this verse cannot be found. Why? Because it's a Pharisaic perversion of the law. Okay? It would become however the Pharisees wanted to interpret the law. And whatever they would said, whatever they said would become authoritative. Okay? And so, as we, see, as we saw in the previous weeks, the Pharisees, um, they weren't concerned about not committing the physical acts of adultery or divorce. Right, Gail has gone through this. They twisted and distorted the Old Testament law in the same way they misinterpreted the Old Testament laws about adultery and divorce. And so they did the same thing with oaths, as we see in these verses. They argued that some oaths, okay, some oaths were binding, but others weren't. Right? And we all know when we're trying to prove something to be true, um, like with subtle arguments, you can you can convince people. Right? With subtle arguments, you can kind of change the meaning of things. And like, for people to believe you, you can just kind of distort it and add in phrases so, they, so it's more believable. Right? So the Pharisees, what they were doing is they convinced everyone around them. Okay? They could prove anything the way they wanted to. And that's what they did with these oaths. It all, it all boiled down to this. The Pharisees were saying, if I take this oath or swear 
and it's not to God, then I can break it. I can swell my mama. I can swell my mama's mama. I can swell my mama's grave. But since it's not to God, I can break it. It doesn't mean anything. But what Jesus is saying here, okay, what Jesus is saying here in this passage is that you, whatever you swear by, okay, whatever you swear by, you're swearing to God. Okay, look at, look at me with uh, at verse 34 and 35. 34 and 35. Heaven is God's throne, earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is the city of the great king. God, he encompasses everything, right? So God is the creator of the entire universe, and everything in this world, everything in this universe belongs to God. And so when you swear, you're swearing to God. You could swear by, uh, it says, heaven is God's throne, earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So no matter what you swear by, you're swearing to God. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you can talk mad game, but you better be able to back it up. Okay, you can talk all the game you want, but you better be able to back it up, right? When you commit to something, go through with it. When you commit to something, go through with it. You don't need to make promises. You don't need to swear by anything. You don't need to swear by the moon or the stars and the sky that you'll be there. Okay, boys to men, love it, right? You don't need to swear by these things. Or this, I promise you, this I swear. I will love you forever. And sing. Mm, right? You don't need to promise these things. You don't need to promise that you're going to show up to a get-together on time. Right? You say you're going to be there at 7 o'clock? Show up at 7 o'clock. You're like, yes, I promise for the 100th time I'm going to be there. Or if me- a meeting is at 9, you show up on time. You don't need to say um, you're going to do something for someone. You say it and you do it. Rather, you should be so honest that you never, ever have to swear an oath or make a promise, right? To live in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is what it says. And so, if we continue, the Sermon on the Mount is not a code of morals, okay? But it's a description of character. Because you are what you are, because you are a believer, this is how you will live, okay? So because you are a Christian, this is how you will live. The apostles lived out the Sermon on the Mount. And all throughout history, it's been the greatest men of faith that God has used. They not only took this very seriously, they not only took the Sermon on the Mount very seriously, but literally lived it out. And so I began to think of some of the greatest men of faith that have ever lived. And I came across a few people, okay? There was a Hudson Taylor, okay? a Protestant missionary to China. That's how the gospel went into China. William Carey, missionary to India. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, Jim Elliot. All of the greatest men of faith in history. And then I I realized that I I overlooked one man of faith. There was one man of faith that I kind of just, kind of just passed by. D.L. And listen, y'all, I I know D.L. probably doesn't want me like talking about this, um, he doesn't want me saying this, probably. But I look at his life and like, I know he lives out what he preaches, right? He comes in faithfully week in and week out every Sunday, faithfully preaching the word of God, 
But not only does he do that, he faithfully lives it out. Right? He doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks with the walk. There's something that's just like different about him. Right? It's like they're like beams of like holiness just like radiating from him, right? It's like you look, it's like, oh, and you just like, it's just like there's something about DL. Right? People like you like look at him, it's just like, like I get sometimes like I stutter in front of him because like he's so holy. And I've talked to people and like people have said the same. I just like, uh, you know, like his, there's just something about him. And people look at him and say, right, we can all agree. Like this is a man with the righteousness that comes from God. And I know that he's broken and flawed like the rest of us. He's broken and flawed. But he lives out the gospel. He lives out the gospel and people see it in his life. It's evident in the way he lives. Do you live out the Sermon on the Mount? Do you live this out? If someone were to look at your life, would they be able to tell that you follow Christ? Your coworkers, your peers, your friends at school, your children. If they looked at your life, all these people around you, would they be able to tell that you live out the Sermon on the Mount? Do they see Christ reflected in your life? Because the second thing that we see in this passage is that our world, our world desperately needs to see Jesus in us. When Dale asked me to preach on this passage, uh, my initial reaction was of joy, okay? Because I wouldn't have to preach on the day that the Sermon on the Mount landed on divorce, right? We heard Dale preach on divorce last week. Um, like, my sermon would be, don't divorce, let's pray. You know, like, I, I, like, I wouldn't know, like, what to say, right? I'm, I'm a single guy, just like, divorce, you know, like, the Bible says, don't do it. And so I was, like, so, I was, like, so happy, I, you know, like, that wasn't what he asked me to preach on. Okay, but all joking aside, as I was reading through this passage, like, it kind of, like, struck a chord within me. Because I knew of the deceit that was so prevalent in my heart. The deceit in my heart. Let me paint a picture for you, okay? Uh, growing up in this very ministry, I've been here for like ever, okay? Um, I thought I was going to leave and I came back. I've been here forever. Everyone used to tell my siblings, not my siblings are here, but everyone used to tell them, your brother, he's so kind-hearted. Your brother, oh my, your brother is a servant. Your bro- You're so lucky to have a brother like him. I was like, this is great, right? I'm, I'm an amazing brother, Right? I am the best. This is great. But my siblings knew that my life outside the church looked nothing like my life inside the church. Nothing alike. And for most of us, I think we've done a great job at modifying the truth and disguising it. We put on a mask. We put on a mask to make ourselves look a certain way. It's kind of like Instagram. Instagram. Right? We only put up a picture of what we want other people to see. Right? We can't see beyond the borders of the picture. Right? So someone like did this like study where like they show you like this great picture, but like so like they'll show you a picture of a flower, right? Pretty flower against the wall, but everything around it is like desert. Okay? Like we can't see that. Like we only can see you as you want to be seen. The best of you. 
right? No one's going to put up a picture of a selfie, like, first thing in the morning. No one's going to do that, right? After all the women, like, or guys, too, okay, guys who put on makeup, or, you know, like, you're going to, like, put up a selfie after you look good, right? No one's going to put up a picture of McDonald's breakfast. Now that it's all day, right, you can put up whenever you want, but no one's going to put that up. You're going to put up a picture of, like, magical dining or something nice, right? No one is going to put up a picture of their nine-to-five job. Like, selfie, look at me, I'm at work. No one's going to put that up. You're going to put up when you go out on the weekends, what you do, who you hang out with, all the friends you have. You're only going to show the rest of the world how you want to be perceived. And all throughout high school, I created an image for myself of how I wanted to be perceived. I had perfected the art of making myself look good. So good. I look good. Not like attractive, no, but like, I look good, like right in the church. And it was a facade. I was being someone I wasn't. And I knew this hypocrisy consumed my heart. I knew that I was living a lie. Because I told people, I read my Bible. I, I do my devotionals. Because it makes me seem holy. Right? I would tell people this, but I wasn't doing it, right? I cared about more about what other people thought of me than how God viewed me. I thought doing all these right things made me a Christian. And I began to examine my heart and think, who am I trying to impress so badly? Who am I trying to impress? I was no different from the Pharisees. When the Pharisees took these oaths in front of others, they were doing it to impress people, okay? They were doing it only to impress people. Everything about these oaths were phony. They had no intention of going through with their oaths. And we're, we're kind of good at that, though, I think, aren't we? Especially in the church. Like, it's easy to come to church once a week to look good, right? We put on our Sunday best in front of other people. Yet live completely different lives the rest of the week. The rest of the week is completely different. Jesus taught against this very hypocrisy that the Pharisees hid so well. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, We are never told in the Sermon on the Mount to live like this and you will be a Christian. Rather, we are told, because you are a Christian, live like this. This is how to live. Um, before I entered into seminary and ministry, um, I started to get really into golf. Okay? I started to really, I would play like uh, once or twice a week uh, just to take my mind off things, right? As Eugene shared, I was in real estate and I was miserable. And so I would go play golf. And um, rather than finding like a sense of peace and serenity out there, like I would end up more frustrated and like annoyed than anything else. They're like, like, I want to, like, throw my club across the lake, you know? Um, like, golf brought out the worst in me. Uh, one, one week, I went with a couple of brothers from our church. I went with a couple of brothers. And um, after the first couple of holes, we noticed that the guys behind us, they kept hitting up on us. Okay? They kept hitting up on us. And if anyone knows golf etiquette, right, if you know golf etiquette, you know that you have to wait for the people in front of you, right, to clear before you can hit the ball. It's not even golf etiquette. It's just common sense, right? You don't want to hit the people in front of you. 
right? It's common sense. There's people, don't hit, right? And so, um, because it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Um, someone once shared with me that, like, this story, I don't know how believable it is, but they shared that, like, one guy got hit in the back of the head with a golf ball and their eyeballs popped out, okay? I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what someone shared. Like, and I believe it to this day. I was like, I got scared because they kept hitting up on me. And if there's one thing that you don't want to do when you're playing golf to upset someone is to hit up on them. And so each time they hit up on us, it's like, we'll just show them grace. We'll show them a little grace, right? Let's just give them another chance. But finally around like, I don't remember, like 13th, 14th, I don't know, 14th, 15th hole, um, the ball, they hit the ball, right? I don't want to show you my golf swing because it's ugly. And so they hit the ball. And they landed, like, right behind us. Like, literally, like, right behind us. And so by this point, like, we had enough. We had enough. So we'll, this is what we did. We, we took the golf cart and we turned around. We made a beeline for them, right, as fast as we could. Ten miles per hour, just boom, right? <laughs> we set for them. And, like, we our, our, we're, like, we were just gay, like, we were just gay straight at them. Like, that's all. Like, we could only look at them. And as soon as we got to the tee box where they were at, we kind of just blew up on them. Words were exchanged. <laughs> Um, unedifying, to say the least, okay? We threw some fighting words out, and, uh, and on the way back, one of the brothers that we were with, I'm not going to name who it was, they, this is what they did. They took, they took the golf ball that they hit up on us, and they threw it to the other side of the course, okay? This is a member of our church, and, um, and uh, we were like, yeah, that'll, that'll show them what's up, right? It's like, yeah, take that golf ball, you know, and we just threw it across. And... Um, and so I, later on that day, I just like I kind of just like began to like kind of think through my thoughts, and I began to think to myself like, what in the world did we just do? Like feelings of remorse and regret began to sink in, because there was absolutely nothing about what we did that exemplified Jesus. People didn't see Jesus in us; they saw the exact opposite. Like these guys aren't Christians, right? They saw the exact opposite. I was living a life of deceitfulness. Who was I kidding, right? I was kind of embarrassed and ashamed of myself. God says this, look, live in this manner, live this out because you are a Christian. Every hour, every minute, every second of our lives, live this way, okay? God wants all, all of your life, okay? He doesn't want two hours on Sundays. He doesn't want your 10%. He wants all of our lives. He wants straightforwardness, transparency, honesty. That if we are to speak, we should, as if we were in the presence of God, because what? Because everything in this world is under God. That who you see at church on Sundays is who you see outside of church. And it's as clear as day in verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. That what you see, that what you see is what you get. Like WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Why does he call us to live like this? Because this world desperately, desperately needs to see Jesus in us. Uh, I was talking to my roommate, Albert, Albert Kang, uh, about last week, and we, we were talking about a recent Justin Bieber interview that came out, right? Uh, I, I don't think I'm a believer. I think some of the songs are catchy. But we we're just talking about Justin Bieber. And uh, as I was reading through the interview, I, began to, I thought to myself that Justin Bieber, he said a lot of great things. Okay? He said a lot. If you guys want to read it, it's online. And, um, but it had some other people asking, like, what do you mean? What do you mean? 
when you say that you want to live like Jesus, but your decisions say otherwise. Like, I get it. The, the interview was, like, extremely raw, extremely vulnerable and real as he discussed his mistakes and failures growing up, right? Growing up in this entertainment industry, like, I, you got to give it to him, right? It's been, like, it's, for anyone at that young age, it's, it's pretty difficult. And we shouldn't be quick to judge because just like the rest of us, he's in his own journey of sanctification. He's growing in his own journey of sanctification. And I can't even imagine what it's been like for him to enter this industry at such an early age. But to say that you're a Christian and live contradictory to the teachings of Jesus doesn't make sense. An author wrote in response to this interview, this is what the author said. Some Christians may take issue with his use of profanity or the choices he's made in the past, but in light of a desire to live more like Christ and embrace faith, those things should be trivial. I was like, what'd you say? Like the manner in which we live our lives cannot be taken lightly. The sins in our life aren't trivial. They can't be trivial because the world is left watching, waiting, and wondering. People will say, oh, because he's a Christian and he curses, it must be okay. If he smokes weed all the time and believes in Jesus too, I can too, it's okay. Romans 6 says this, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? Everything that a Christian does is of utmost importance. Everything that we do. Because who they are and their effect on other people. Listen, what this is saying is that you should be able to tell a Christian by how they live. You should be able to tell a Christian by how they live. Like when we, like, we are being watched, and everything that we do is almost like we're concerned about the smallest details of life. Okay, so when we realize that we're in the presence of God, our attitudes should be different than that of a non-Christian. That everything that we do is on display for the world to see. It's like we're in one of those glass boxes and people are looking in from the outside. Everything that we do is on display for the world to see. The entire Ashley Madison scandal has had devastating and rippling effects on the people in this world. When 400 pastors are predicted to resign because their names were on this list. It not only affects the people that are involved, but the people in this world. There are enormous consequences. Divorces and infidelity are increasing because men have forgotten the teaching of Christ with regards to vows and oaths. What's different if church leaders get drunk on the weekend? What's different? Or if you do drugs with your friends? If we cheat on our taxes? We sleep around? Everyone else will look at us and say, hey, it must be okay. We don't need to organize campaigns to evangelize and to reach non-believers. We don't need to. Like, we need to live out our Christian faith. 
you tracking with me? you following with me? We need to live out our Christian faith. Like if Christianity were alive and explosive, if we lived with a sense of urgency, I believe that without a doubt in my mind that people would look at us and say, there's something different about this. The world is looking at us and desperately needs to see what Christianity looks like, how the gospel transforms, redeems, renews broken people like us. If we lived out the Sermon on the Mount, people wouldn't go looking for anything else in this world. They wouldn't. They would look at us and say, I want what they have. I want that. They would look at us and say, this is it. I found what what I'm looking for. It's the moral witness of the church that has killed the witness of the church. It's the moral witness of the church that has killed the witness of the church. We fail time and time again, but imagine with me how different the world would look like if we practiced what we preach, that if we lived it out for the world to see. Even as we're about to face death, as we stare death straight in its eyes, the world will see the hashtag, yes, I'm a Christian. That till our very last breath here on earth, that the world would visibly see Jesus in our lives. The one who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Who lived the life that we could never live. Who perfectly executed the law that we could never fulfill. And went to the cross on Calvary for our sins. It was our sins that held him there. Our Savior. It was supposed to be me and you on that cross. And we took, we received the blessings that he deserved. This is the gospel. Elliot Grudem says this, Jesus didn't die for a perfect church. He died to make her perfect. Let the world see Jesus in our lives. Let's pray. As we take a moment to respond in prayer, just think about it. Do we make ourselves better than we really are? Because this, the gospel says otherwise. Jesus says, come as you are. That we are sinners in need of grace. This is what Jesus says. Do we see not only ourselves, but the people around us? That our lives inside the church are completely different from our lives outside of the church. Is this us? As we look into our hearts, do we see that it's filled with duplicity? Where have we lied? out honestly in light of the gospel just think just think and imagine with me what the world would look like
that for the 10 students in Oregon at this campus who faced death and they stared down the gun barrel, they said, yes, I'm a Christian. And the world looks at that and sees that there's something different, that they live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Imagine with me what this world would look like, people of God, that if we live this out. God knows the depth of our hearts. And so let's just come to him. Let's just spend a couple minutes and respond to saying, God, I've, help me to live it out. That outside of these church walls, I would go and live out these convictions. That I wouldn't come to hear a message to sing songs and feel good with that. I would go and live out my Christian faith. That people around me would see Christ in me. Be with us now. It's your Sunday we pray.